Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Man, it has been a crazy, crazy week out here in Vegas, but I am stoked to say the least to be sitting down on another interview for the podcast and uh, a really great interview that I've been looking forward to for a really long time. So today I am interviewing Encore Jane. He is the co-founder and CEO of Kairos, a portfolio of fintech and healthcare brands transforming the way people rent, pay off student loans, and access healthcare. At Kairos, Jane has launched companies including Rhino, which is the country's largest security deposit insurance business, helping to put the $45 billion trapped in security deposits back into renters' pockets. Sarah, the fastest growing healthcare company in Europe, bringing healthcare out of hospitals and senior homes and into the comfort of people's own homes at an affordable cost. And then their latest venture, Built Rewards, which is a program developed with MasterCard to give renters a way to earn points, build their credit score, and create a path to actual homeownership just by paying their rent. Formerly, he was the VP of product over at Tinder. Not sure if you heard of it. It happens to be the world's largest social network for meeting people. 
And he joined that company after it acquired his previous company, Human, where he served as the founder and CEO. So listen, all of that stuff uh, that I just read off, uh, you would think that I was talking about somebody who's been in business uh, for decades at this point and is in their late 50s, about to close their career, getting into authorship. But no, Encore is 31 years old and has done all of this stuff. Uh, up to this point in his life. So uh, you can imagine why I'm excited to talk to him here on the show. Encore, thank you so much for taking the time, bro. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yes, sir. Well, I want to I want to jump right in, man. Build some context for those listening uh, who maybe just passed out due to the extensive bio uh, that, that I just read off. And uh, let's build some context. Take it back to the early days for me. Talk to me what uh, about what it was being like, or what it was like being being Encore at age nine, ten years old. You know, take, <laughs> rewind the clock and take me back to that time. Yeah, you guys see, I am getting old now. Thinking that far back is starting to be. <laughs> so I grew up in Seattle. Uh, grew up with immigrant parents. Came over here. I mean, you know, we, you and I just started talking about <clears throat> changes in California and Nevada and all these places. Like, I think. One of the things that I grew up around was just watching my parents actually try to create the American dream, right? And it's something that my, you know, my dad grew up in a dirt poor village in India, uh, managed to come to the U.S. after college. Like you hear these stories about people coming here with $100 in their pockets. Like he actually had $100 and that was it in his name. And it was actually moving to California back before it became, unfortunately, the some of the political environment that it is today, but you know, it was a cha- a place for opportunity. And I grew up watching my parents together uh, take the risk to start companies together and and create a a home here in the U.S. Of which we got to grow up in and, and watch them build some of the largest technology companies off the dot com and kind of Web 2.0 era. And you know that type of of visibility. I mean, you see someone from hearing the stories. If someone can come from a village in India and build a $40 billion company uh, here in the United States, then really anything's possible. And that was a huge, huge driver and motivation for, for everything I've done in my in my short time. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. Growing up in a household like that, do you remember, like, you know, I, you're 31, so you're born in 1990-ish? Yep. Um, so when, when you were, when you were growing up in that, in that time period, do you remember like the come up period of that? So, you know, I've, and I, you know, talked to your dad a few times, um, being involved with some of the conferences and stuff that he would, that he was speaking at and, you know, fairly familiar with, with his story. But for those of you who are listening, who don't know, um, Encore's dad, Naveen is, um, multi-billionaire built a lot of, uh, different, you know, huge tech companies had, he has some sort of a contract with the government or something to be able to land on the moon or some. He's just a crazy innovator, thinker, disruptor. And I'm wondering what it was like watching that come up kind of happen in front of your eyes of, of like, hey, we don't really have much except for like, you know, my, my dad gets a salary or whatever. But, you know, there's a big same. It's the same crazy fight that we all go through and the hustle, right? I mean, when we when he left his somewhat steady job to start the first company it was him and my mom and my brother and sister and my, my brother wasn't born yet my sister and I and it became a family a family hustle from you know when I was six years old right and it was we had he put up all his life savings into starting the company um, we gave up one of the cars 
So like he would hear my mom would drive us to school and then they'd go to work together and we'd go to the office after school because no one could take us home for a little bit. And, you know, it was uh, it was a grind. But to see that relentless persistence, I mean, that's that's the key to, to building startups, building companies. Right. It's having that vision, but it's the relentless persistence. And that's frankly like that idea of just never saying never accepting no for an answer was what led me to actually create my first company. when I was 11. That's like a good little nerdy Indian boy. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, I think what inspired a lot of the other work that we've done even to date around housing and healthcare and just making uh, things more affordable for people. Did, was it something that your parents uh, encouraged you or pushed you to do to jump into entrepreneurship? Or was that something that you just kind of had inside of you? No. So so this is something that's funny. I've been talking about this a little bit recently with some of my uh, friends who are starting to become parents, which is a weird crazy experience hitting this new stage of life now. That, that's like why I asked the question because I, <laughs> I have a two-year-old and I have a nine-month-old. So like anytime I talk to like well-rounded people, I'm like, what did your parents do to like not screw this up? Because it's difficult. <laughs> to be determined on screwing up or not for us. But it's, uh, it was, <laughs> I gotta tell you, you know, from a young age, one of the things that we always had as a, a mantra in our family was it, it was never about like, a budget or an allowance. My parents actually were pretty strict about ever giving us access to cash period. So we didn't, it wasn't like if I wanted to buy a new pair of shoes, I could just work in the yard, make an allowance and go buy it. The answer was just no, unless I figured out a creative way to get it. So it was almost like a bartering system. (laughs) And I remember when I was about 10 or 11 years old, going into seventh grade, I really, really, really wanted to make the basketball team. I was like, I was, I was a big Supersonics fan growing up in Seattle. I was a short, skinny Indian kid, and I stood zero chance of even making that team. <laughs> but I had seen an ad recently for these these workout jump soles, which were like essentially plyometrics. They'd help you help you jump higher. And I thought to myself, I could just figure out how to dunk the ball. They've got to let me on the team, right? Unfortunately, these things were 150 bucks. And obviously, you know, I didn't have 150 bucks lying around. <laughs> Wait, are you talking about those? Are you talking about those soles that you like Velcro to the front of your shoe? Yes, yes yeah. exactly. The same that. thing, bro. Like, yeah, it was the same thing. You probably had more success than I did. You probably, you probably <laughs> actually dunked the ball, but I really wanted these things so badly. And I, I, I was convinced that that was the path to making the team. So after like hemming and hawing, I started seeing that this was like the early days of product placement on the internet. And I started seeing all these people on like message boards and like, remember like Angel Fire websites and GeoCities Wave. This is how old we're getting now. Like the people could create stuff. And I saw people posting about free products they were getting. So I decided to learn coding, taught myself coding, built a website, which, which ended up becoming my first company. Um, we built the first web to mobile messaging system. So I was trying to solve a problem we had. I'll get back to that in a second, but ended up building a website and calling up the company that makes those jump soles and just call the customer service line until I got to the CEO. I said, hey, with my pre-puberty squeaky voice, can I see the CEO, please? These guys probably had no idea what was going on, but eventually somebody put me through and I said, hey, we're launching a new website targeted at at young adults and teenagers. I think it's a big market for you guys. How would you like to do a trade? I'll put up an ad for your workout equipment and you send me a pair of jump soles. And, uh, and they did. <laughs> and I still did not make the team, but I did start my first company <laughs> accidentally. 
That's and that's awesome. just the kind of that was the kind of culture we grew up in, right? It was yeah, find creative ways that are win-win all the time to to get it get the things done that you want, right? The art of the deal, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it, it really is just so important and something that, that most people never have any exposure to. And I don't want to make this interview about your parents, but I felt like it would be remiss if I didn't at least have a little bit of context into that conversation because. One of the biggest things that I always respected and admired about, about what your dad did is that he was always encouraging people. And I'm sure you got this a bunch, um, which is obvious with the different companies that now you have been able to start that it's not, it's not entrepreneurship's not just about making money. It's about solving massive problems to the world. And if you take your focus off of making money and put your focus on solving massive problems, then big money is going to come to you. Big money is going to find you. If the problem that you tackle is big enough, right? It's the age old, it's the age old lesson, right? It's been read about for thousands of years, but love, money, and happiness are the three things that if you chase directly, you never find. Mm. Right? Yeah. And if you work on the things that you love and the things you care about, I mean, look, it's not an altruistic only approach. I mean, the biggest problems are the biggest business opportunities, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I always say to people like people in Silicon Valley love to pitch some random like voice controlled electronic device or like VR drone or crypto, whatever. And the fact is like, those could be $100 billion markets or they could be $50 million markets. We don't know, right? But when you think about something like the housing crisis facing people across the United States and frankly, around the world, or you think about the healthcare crisis facing people, I mean, those are trillions of dollars spent a year on those categories. Mm-hmm. And so if you can innovate in those areas, and actually solve the problem for customers in a way that actually helps them, right? That's how you create a trillion dollar company, right? How did you initially come up with some of these ideas or identify these problems? Like, were you, were you somebody that went out searching for a problem to solve? Or were you somebody that ran into a problem and thought, I need to build a solution for this? Yeah, it's the latter, right? And I think that's part of what makes it just like entrepreneurship is a really hard process, right? I mean, whether it was, you know, my dad's first company I was growing up and us having to sometimes, like I said, walk from school to the office because they were busy, right? Or whether it's like today when we actually have access to some resources and it's still being up every single night till midnight or 1am trying to get the deal done. It's just, it's always really hard. And the only way that you'll ever make it through all those ups and downs is if the problem you're working on is something you care so much about because it's something you can truly relate to, right? And I'll never forget, one of my mentors said to me, probably 10 years ago, they said, before you start a company, at the stage when you think you have a vision or an idea, he goes, ask yourself, now that you've seen the world in this vision with your product in existence, can you live in a world without it? Mm. And if the answer is yes, stop wasting your time. And if the answer is no, then nothing should stop you from going out and building it, And I think that's the problem is too many people start a company, you're starting a company's sake, or it's cool and sexy to be an entrepreneur, but it's, it's really hard. <laughs> right? yeah. It is the ups, the downs, and the risk that you take to start a company to put everything on the line. I mean, there are much easier ways to make money right. than a business. Right. So true, man. So true. I was just having my conversation with my wife a few days ago. So my, you know, my, my software startup, this is the first time I've been 
um, in this space. And uh, man, I've just been beating my head against the wall, you know, being like, man, why didn't I just keep doing what I was doing before? <laughs> I, I can make more money, you know, doing that with like less headaches. But like to, to your point, you know, I kept experiencing this problem over and over again. A bunch of people were asking me about the same problem. And so I was like, somebody's got to build this and it may as well be me because I feel like I'm pretty uniquely positioned to do it. So you end up jumping in, but at the beginning, you don't realize, you know what I mean? How difficult right. it's going to be. You always hear it, of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've been interviewing people for 700 episodes on my show. So I know that other people tell me that it's difficult, you know, but then once you jump into it and then you realize how difficult it is, but it's too late to turn around, then it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's time to move forward and, and figure this thing out. And look, this is, this is the problem, right? Is that nobody wants to talk about the hardships. The startup world is unfortunately over glorified with everybody's a winner, everyone's a success story. I'll never forget when I was running my first kind of major venture backed company after college, it was a company called Human, uh, pretty fitting to the show actually, but we were trying to rebuild your relationship management tool, a better, like a different and real version of LinkedIn. Um, hmm. Hypothesis was your real relationships are your contacts, right? And it shouldn't be some giant alphabetical list of a bunch of random strangers. I should be able to open up my phone and say, who's that guy that I met through Lauren the other day? Or who do I know that lives in New York? Or do I have any contacts at Ford? Hmm. Right? And it would automatically pull all of that information from your emails, calendar, phone book, social, and make it a really seamless uh, search experience. I remember being so rattled. We launched... We were number 10 in the app store. We were like, I thought doing so well. And then I would read TechCrunch and these other blogs, Business Insider, and every startup was like million users, 5 million users, 3 million users a day. And I'm looking at, we, were, we had barely, barely cracked 200K. And I thought I was, I mean, as a founder, you're like, what am I doing wrong, right? And it wasn't until I got to Tinder where I became the head of product there and I could see we were the number one paid app in the app store. There's nobody that was getting more downloads than us in the app store. And Tinder's numbers were barely hitting a million, you know, kind of users like that on a daily basis. So when you see all of a sudden, it made me realize that all these founders out there were just totally BSing their numbers. And that's the, and that's a really toxic cycle because in the startup world, you're constantly benchmarking yourself to whatever limited information you have. So and you can start chasing the wrong goal. Yeah, you chase all the vanity metrics and the things right. that don't matter. You're chasing the PR and the news coverage and you're chasing right. the, the metrics that don't move the needle for your business at all instead of worrying about you, what you're working on and how to make... The problem you're solving. Yeah, and the customer and the problem you're solving, right? And there, yeah. was, there was another great kind of moment in my career. You talk about these people that you spend time with at different moments in your career that have... You know, they maybe say something casually in passing and it sticks with you. And I remember that probably, I don't know, seven years ago or so, right before Alibaba became like a big thing, right? Uh, they were still, they were pre-IPO, trying to break into the US market. They invited a group of entrepreneurs to a dinner uh, with David Way and Jack Ma. And I got lucky enough to be invited to this group. And they were telling the story of how Alibaba beat eBay in China, right? Because eBay came into that market before they existed. They own like a huge part of the market share. And Alibaba launched Taobao and just crushed. I mean, just absolutely crushed eBay. And this is before even the government intervention was getting 
crazy on that type of the, uh, foreign entry into the market, right? And what he said is, he goes, all these other companies, including eBay, were so worried about what the competitors were doing, right? They lost sight of what actually mattered. And he goes, we don't even pay attention to what eBay did. If eBay did anything worthwhile, our customers would ask us for it and say eBay does it. But until my customer tells me, I don't care. Yeah. And you see that a lot in especially the venture world where your startup idea keeps getting benchmarked to other startups, right? But the reality is the, the average customer, you know, anywhere in the country is still three steps behind even the, the latest startup that's out there, right? And so by the time you're done benchmarking, imagine if Facebook had launched their product today, like 10 years ago, you would open up the Facebook app and have no clue. You have 15 notification buttons, a marketplace, a dating app, a newsfeed, people's pictures and profiles. Like it would be benchmarked to the wrong comp, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's just starts off like every great disruption is just an incremental evolution done a hundred times, right? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over one hundred and forty million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, I read, read something somewhere recently where it said something about your competition. It was talking about benchmarking yourself against other people that are in a similar space. And it said something like, if you're, if you're worried about copying your competitor's product or something like that, then then you've already lost. And it was, it, was a, uh, it was a total rewiring of my mind to stop thinking about like, what did they figure out that works and start figuring out about what am I going to figure out that will work? Because that's, like, right. that's the core of our product. We are not them. They are not us. We have to innovate and come up with our own thing that we do extremely well and stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Yeah. And candidly, look, if somebody else had already figured it out, there probably isn't a need for your product. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, again, so true. So true. So listen, man, I, I would love to hear, since we're talking about this, um, I would love to hear a story, maybe something, a time when you were working on a startup or something that just didn't go according to plan. You know, we're talking a lot about messy startups right now. And it's a top of mind for me because I'm going through Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About yeah. Things Right Now. And one of the few books, opening. by the way, where they were open about stuff. I like that. What's that? That was one of the few books that came out where they were really raw about So true. Stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was reading through, reading through that opening story and I was getting anxiety myself just by reading it. Um, and it's a great book. If you haven't read it, definitely go read it. But uh, what, what was some, what's something that you've done in a startup that uh, in, in, in any sort of entrepreneurial context that just didn't yeah. go according to plan? Well, the short answer to that question is everything you do doesn't go to plan. It's about how relentlessly persistent you are to eventually get somewhere. But you know, recently I just told the story. So we launched a product called Built Rewards, right? Uh, it's the first loyalty program and credit card lets you earn points on rent. Right? I mean, the idea was really, really simple. I thought rent is the single largest expense for the vast majority of Americans. Why is it that you can earn points on an airline ticket? You can earn points when you buy a drink at the bar. But if I pay my rent on time every single month, I get nothing for it. I get no points. I don't even help my credit score. And then you get no closer to home ownership, right? So we had this, like, what I thought was a simple concept three, three and a half years ago saying, what if people could just earn points on rent, right? We spent about a year building out all these, uh, all the products and partnerships and everything around how you were going to earn points. And then the idea was that you could one day redeem those points for home ownership, right? Put them towards a down payment. Like now renting becomes a path to home ownership. It wasn't until a year in when we had put all this money and time into it where I finally sat down to start setting up our partnership with the mortgage companies now that we had the point system and the rental system in place. And our lawyers called us and said, what are you doing? You can't do that. I go, what do you mean you can't do it? They go, it's illegal. You can't redeem points towards a down payment. That's literally not an allowed source of fun. I'm like, you've known what we're working on for almost a year. <laughs> and this is the first time you're telling me we're not allowed to use points towards a down. I mean, the entire business was basically dead overnight. Yeah, yeah. And now we had two options there, right? So this does turn out to be a, a, a happy story in the end. But what happened a year in, I said, so what is it going to take to make this thing legal? <laughs> and what we found was that in 2008, so what is that, 13 years ago now? It's crazy. When the world crashed because of the housing crisis, the government changed the regulations to say, Instead of these are the things that you are not allowed to use for a down payment, instead you can only use personal savings, gifts from a nonprofit or something that helps like a down payment assistance, or a gift from your parents. Why gift from your parents was a thing that was allowed. So like, you know, rich kids get a benefit and no one else. like that is, makes no sense to me, but those are like the eligible sources of money for buying a home. Outside of that, shit out of luck. Yeah. We went and said, the only way that this business can survive now is we got to convince the U.S. government and the regulatory agencies that rewards points should be added to this. And you can imagine when they were writing up these rules, nobody thought to ask in this regulatory room, well, what about rewards points? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so began another year journey of just flying out to DC, meeting with the housing department, meeting with the regulators. And 
honestly explaining to everybody how even credit card points work. I mean, it's like you can literally use points to fool off in Miami and fly around and get a hotel. But the U.S. government is telling people they can't use that for the most important thing to create wealth and equity for a whole generation, just home ownership. Like, how? Yeah, Uh, especially especially when the reason for those regulations to begin with was lack of payments, which you would have to make in order to get the points because you have to prove that you've been paying rent to earn the points. Crazy. And so we go through all this. I spent about another year walking everyone through this. And I think that we have everyone finally up to speed, right? We finally had, you know, from the Secretary of Housing through to FHA, through to Fannie, we have met with everybody. They understand the opportunity now. They understand why this should be no different than personal savings, right? And we finally send in our formal request to be approved as a kind of allowed permissible source of funds and we get rejected again. (laughs) And I mean, now we're almost two years into the business. We continue to build out the rest of this. And we just went into fight or flight mode and we just started making phone calls and just requesting an audience with whoever it was that rejected this application. And, And, you know, like sometimes the stars align if you're just relentless and persistent enough. And we managed to get our hearing and we presented the case. And about a month later, at the end of 2019, we got the first ever regulatory approval to let people put points towards a down payment. And so now, today, with Built, people can actually pay their rent on a card with no fees. They get the benefit of credit reporting on rent payments for no cost. And they can use those points to buy a home and cover the down payment. But man, it was not crazy. This is this is why if entrepreneurship taught me anything, it's how much ideas are a dime a dozen. Yes. And 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 you know, people always freak out about telling other people their ideas. Like I gave up on having people sign NDAs a long time ago because I was like, there's no chance in hell you're gonna go through the shit that I've gone through to get to this point. And if you are, like you deserve to be in competition. Right, that's right. You know what I mean? Because like it's just, it's not going to happen. I like the, like the idea itself. Like if I hear you say that idea, I'm like, Oh no, duh. Why didn't I come up with that? And that's what everybody always says. Oh, that's so obvious. Why didn't I come up with that? It doesn't matter if you came up with it because the barriers to get from here to there are already too much for for 99.9% of people to overcome. 100%. Could not agree more. How were your relationships helpful in some of those things that that you were um, kind of trying to tackle during that time period? Because most people are listening to this right now and they're going like, I wouldn't even know how to do that. Like, how do I even go to, who who do I talk to in DC? What regulatory agency do I call? Like, how do I even find the phone numbers to call to talk to somebody to get to a decision maker? I don't even know what to start. It's funny. The answer goes back to your, your first point, which is you can't be shy and scared of talking to about your idea, right? Um, to be fair, I did not have any contacts in the Department of Housing, much less DC. This was during the Trump administration. This was not like I did not have like a phone line or anybody I knew that I could just phone call to get in, right? But what what happens is we just, I mean, anybody who would listen, any friend, <laughs> any investor, any partner, we would just tell them what we're trying to do. This is what we're building. Here's where we're getting stuck. Like, do you know anybody? And I mean, we went in the most like little roundabout circle that got us from like 
one lawyer to another guy to another person who introduced somebody to the Department of Energy, who then got us into the Department of Housing. With like, it was a whole pipeline and lots of little dead ends in between. But we eventually did get to all the right people, right? And and they did believe it. Now I think one of the things that's just so important that a lot of people forget about when it comes to relationship building is people like to sometimes network for the sake of networking, right? But I could give you a phone book today with everybody's damn phone number and business card. Like it doesn't matter, right? It's like you can message anyone on Instagram these days or send them a DM on Facebook or if people use it anymore. Like you can you can reach anyone, right? It's when people meet you, is there something that you're fighting for or something that you know about or something that you want to learn mm. that's relevant to them, right? Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's this question of like, is, is your net worth like your network kind of thing? Um, and I think that's a total baloney concept. Networks are only as important as the platform and project that you're working on and the, re- and the depth of that relationship you built around it, right? Because the value people, that you're bringing into the relationship. That's it. And it's, it's really that simple. And it's like, you know, you can, again, you can know, you can know a thousand people, right? But it's better to know a hundred people who share a passion for the platform or issue that you're working on because those people will go to bat for you. Hmm. Right. And so I think it's one of the things that I think has been super valuable throughout my career and my life has been thinking about at any given moment in time, what is the platform that you stand for? Right. Uh, Another guy who, you know, Peter Diamandis uh, from the X prize foundation, right. Peter's, arguably one of the most prolifically connected people, quote unquote, on the planet. And I remember when I was 17 or 18 and I applied to Singularity University, one of his projects out there, and we sat down and he asked me, he said, what's your meme? I said, like a joke? (laughs) Like, what's my meme? He's like, he's like, what is the like one sentence that describes why you matter to somebody else today? Like the thing that you're doing. Um, like I'm the guy bringing exponential technology to the world. That's what you know, Peter would say, right? Or I'm the guy who's trying to make space flight accessible, right? Like people need a reason to like a box to put you in, a way to think about you as a person. And that could be, you're the guy who gets me into the parties, right? Like that's, that's why promoters have such a big network of, you know, people in New York or Miami, right? right. But you got to know what that, thing is that you stand for before you spend any time trying to build quote unquote a network and then the network has to come yeah really great insight there man i appreciate that look we're coming down on on the close here i want to be respectful of your time i want to ask you about time management because you know like i was you know half joking at the beginning after i read through your bio but it is an impressive amount of accomplishments for being 31 years old and there's absolutely no way in hell you'd be able to do those things if you were doing every single one of those things all the time. So talk to me a little about about time management, delegation, you know, even just like Kairos has three different startups underneath that one umbrella that yeah. you clearly had a huge hand in being the chief visionary for. What what's your process in thinking through like what's a problem worth tackling and giving my brain power to when I have these other two babies over here that I'm still nurturing? And then, you know, do you have somebody you hand those off to? Are you hiring operators underneath you? Like, yeah. Just kind of quick overview of what that looks like. So Cairo specifically is structured uh, as a holding company. We have uh, today five companies under it. But 
every business has a CEO that's operating the company. I personally have stepped into the CEO role at Pilt because I do think it's the biggest opportunity in front of us today. But to the broader question and point, I think it's impossible. Whenever someone says in their like Instagram bio, like founder, 15 companies, like you know, running CEO, this, 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 or it's like, you know, in Hollywood, the, the equivalent version of that is I think it's like actor, singer, writer, producer. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, that's your, the answer is you're like, you're probably not doing any of them super well. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, uh, you know, another quote that I love that my dad always, you know, says to, to anyone who asks is most great companies die from indigestion, not starvation. Hmm. Right. There's never a shortage of opportunities. There is always a shortage of time. Right. And so being ruthlessly disciplined about focusing on the one key thing in front of you at any given moment. Like I view my, my months and days is probably a stressful way to think about it, but it's how my brain works. It's like, remember that old game alien invaders? Yeah. The alien, you know, the little ships are coming down, like start slow and then they come faster and faster and faster. And you got to keep knocking them out. Like if you try to focus on that entire game and look at every ship coming through, you are guaranteed to lose. Mm -hmm. You just got to get really good at knowing which one is the most urgent fire that's the next one about to hit and being laser focused, knocking that one out. And every 10, 20, 30 seconds or in, in real life, every month or so, be able to step back, do a quick reality check and then get back into it. Right. But when people start to take on three, four projects and try to wor worry about everything that has to get done, there's just no way you'll get any of it done. Right. Yeah. yeah. Love it, bro. Dude, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, where, can, where can people where can people find a little bit more about you? What can we do to help you? I'm at on Instagram at, at Encore Jane. You can look up our companies and our products. I mean, if you haven't yet, if you're a renter and you haven't yet signed up for the Bills Mastercard, we have a waiting list. But I'll get uh, I'll get Travis some early access stuff for for some of the listeners, and it's a chance for people to start earning points on rent. So um, we'd love any feedback or, or you know that's the current focus, and you know it's my my current life dedication. So I would love as many people to benefit from it as possible. Awesome. Well, Encore, thanks so much for taking the time, brother. I know you uh, got a really busy schedule, so I'll let you get back to it. Guys, go check out all the stuff that he's putting out there into the world. So many just big, big problems that he's tackling uh, with his company portfolio there. So go check out some of the stuff he's putting out. Go follow him on Instagram. That's at Encore Jane, A-N-K-U-R-J-A-I-N. And uh, give him a quick follow. Shout out. Tell him you heard about him here on the show. Ankur, thanks for uh, uh, taking the time to spend with us today. Hey, thanks so much, man. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.